The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. You're very welcome back to The Hard Shoulder. Kieran Cuddy with you until seven o'clock, and I am delighted to be joined in studio uh, for the Thursday interview this week by Martin Beans Ward. Martin, you're very welcome. Well, thank you very much. You didn't uh, pronounce the E at the end of Ward. Oh, sorry, Wardy. No, it's <laughs> <laughs> no, there is a story to that E, though, isn't there? Tell me about it. Well, some people would tell you that you know, having the e, it always, it, I don't know, it brings more fun. Maybe uh, Wardy. It's actually a weird story. It's not a funny story, but okay, we'll we'll <laughs> we'll, we'll discuss it a little bit. Uh, it was actually down to the doctor who signed the birth cert, and it's on my birth cert with an E. It's not on my brother's birth cert. It is on one of the other brothers' birth certs. So because it's on the birth cert. It has to be like that in driver's license, passports, the whole lot. So that's where it came from. So you have an E at the end of your name because the doctor writing your name it was, put an E on it. Was, it was, was taking a piss, I think. You <laughs> put a big squiggly thing at the end. Um, but you know, you never see doctors writing anyway. It's, it's almost like... Oh, it's indecipherable, yeah. <laughs> it's like hieroglyphics, you know. Yeah. So yeah, uh, I blame that doctor. And did, did, did it cause any difficulties kind of travelling anywhere when you were kids? You know, the, the, there was different names. Well... I guess they're close enough. I mean, travelling with an E doesn't make travelling any more difficult. You know, it's, there's no extra weight attached to it. Uh, but I, I tell you, one of the things that does come up sometimes uh, would be other people with a similar surname ask me, "Where'd you get that?" Or you tried to be, you tried to be a settled person, like you know, oh, why? because oh. of course, settled people carry E's around their pockets. You know, oh, yeah. <laughs> so this is the, like the 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 traveller version of people kind of dropping the O uh, as a, to to take the soup, maybe. Yeah, like, oh, yeah, yeah. More, more or less. We didn't take the soup though. Um, we t- we took the gates. I'm joking, sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, it's it's one of those things. Uh, I, I think they're only joking, really, trying to annoy yeah. me. You know, um, on the on the comedy front though, um. You're not touring at the moment, is that right? No, I'm not. Uh, I'm actually, I'm focusing on three things at the moment. Four, actually. So I'm mid-flow through my thesis for my Master's in Journalism with UL. Very good. And I'm, I've just started two projects, one with the National Museum of Ireland, which is uh, cataloguing 10 videos with 10 traveller elders kind of capturing their words of wisdom and just things from the past that's going to be lost in the next 10 or 20 years mm. when, the, when the elders, you know, pass on. Um, it, it, that became something that was, that I, I felt is very timely, given that our elders die 10 to 15 years younger than their settled neighbours. And there just isn't enough archiving of their stories. Yeah. Also, like, we're, we're into the last generation of travellers who actually lived in wagons. Yeah, you know, and that's uh, our, our tents. Like once they pass away, we're 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 literally left with, you know, our version of what they once told us around the kitchen table or whatever. So yeah. this is a very important thing um, that's happening at the moment, and that's and with the National Museum. Have Have you started documenting them? I mean, so what, what sort of stories are you going hearing? through the research phase now at the moment? Okay, uh, which shouldn't take more than another week or so. I have some uh, participants lined up. One of them would be. Um, a tinsmith so I'm going, to, I'm going to record a tutorial of how to do that and ask the practical things like you know where do you get the metal what kind of metal uh, what kind of hammer you know um, and basically go step by step through the process of say making a bucket or whatever because yeah. that might be invaluable in 20 years time or 30 years time um, I know that I'd love to learn a little bit about tinsmithing I'm crap at my hands like I'm, I'm used to yeah, yeah. Um, and then the other project is with the Photo Museum of Ireland um, that's a new name it was the Gallery of Photography Ireland but okay. 
big up to the name change there recently. They had a big, big uh, party. They'd be happy now with the, yeah, brand, yeah. With the branding. Of course, really, yeah, of course. Uh, it was driven home with you, yeah. <laughs> so the, the project with that is, it's actually in, uh, it was in conjunction with Creative Ireland, the HSE, uh, the Open Doors Initiative and the Gallery of Photography Ireland um, and myself. So the, that's, that's a kind of a look at how we can talk about mental health and well-being within the traveller community through the lens of, well, literally through the photog- photographic lens. Mm. So I'll be meeting each participant, again, 10 participants, um, although that number might be more or might be less. We've, we've to, it, it all depends on the, the actual participants. But I'll meet them on day one for a portrait shoot. And then after that, they will be tasked with, I'll, I'll send them a message and I'll say, send me a picture of something that made you smile today something that made you reflect, something that made you proud or, you know, um, something that made you want to follow Martin Beans Ward on Twitter, at Martin Beans. <laughs> but, but, you know, so something like that. And and the whole point is to get to perspective of the individual and each individual will be different as well. So yeah. be people with disabilities, people that might be LGBT or, you know, the older generation, younger generation. So a good healthy mix. Um, and it's about them filling in the pages between the portrait picture I take at the start and the portrait picture I take at the end. So it's like they're filling out the pages of their chapter and it's from their perspective. And when when you talk about health and well-being and mental health and well-being of travellers, we were speaking on the show earlier at the Mental Health Commission, a big report out today looking at various different issues. And I'm conscious that of all the shortcomings they, they highlight, you know, that those shortcomings are compounded or they're more acute in the travelling community, not, aren't they? There's nothing cute about it, so here to tell you. Uh, but they are. You're you're right. It is definitely magnified and intensified. But that's not unusual, actually, for a marginalised group anywhere in the world. Yeah. Uh, where uh, the travelling community are six to seven times more likely to, to take their own lives, and I think Limerick is the is the worst hotspot for suicide in the country, and I think the vast majority of those will be travellers also. It happens quite regularly. We we lost two members of the community, two children, uh, in the last number of months. Um, this year alone, I think we're up to twenty. Like it's crazy. It, it it's happening, yeah. and and then of course there are the 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 suicides that are noted as death by misadventure because there's a stigma attached to talking about suicide or, you know, uh, poor mental health. So sometimes the family. And that actually, that doesn't come back to travel tradition. And just, just to clarify that, yeah. that actually goes back to old Catholic Ireland, where at one point in the past, you weren't allowed to be buried in the, the graveyard. If you yeah, and, and, I, and I know I remember speaking to a, a, a former coroner in Kilkenny and, uh, years ago, and, and he would have said, like, you know, again, years previous to that, he would have come under real pressure from people. You yeah, know what course. I mean? Do, don't, do not find this as mm-hmm. a suicide. Um and I'm sure that still exists. I think probably right across society to a degree. But again, is that something else that while it's not of the traveller tradition, it's born of kind of Catholic Irish tradition. Is it? Is that still more magnified in the travelling community? I think is, is so. There, there's still more a, more of a likelihood that you don't want it to be classed. As I suicide, think so. Yeah. I think I think there's well. Look, let's not discount either the 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 horrible circumstances that non-travellers go through in similar situations because while travellers are a microcosm of Irish society. There are other pockets within Irish society that would be quite traditional also, like, you know, the Gael Gores or the Islanders or, you know, even the farming community. Mm. Like, so, like, they feel it too. And, of course, then you have the LGBT and community. And even generations, with it, different generations within society would have different views. Of course. Absolutely. Of course, of course. And I think, I think what's healthy at the moment is people are talking about, you know, 
either being anxious or depressed and they're, they're more willing to speak about it. But you're inevitably going to find that there are certain groups of people, usually, you're right, the older generation, mm-hmm. who just won't talk about it. And that's quite sad to think that the older generation, because by and large, once once you get to a certain age, you tend to be forgotten about. If you're if you're suffering from poor mental health and you're in your 50s, people are like, I'll get on with it. You know, it, everything is geared towards the youth, which is great. It's fantastic. But I don't think it should be at a cost of of forgetting about yeah. people after a certain age. Yeah. Because life can be quite daunting, especially coming through the pandemic. I mean, there, 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 there is no way that Irish society hasn't felt the pinch of anxiety or depression after the pandemic or throughout the pandemic. Saying goodbye to relatives through a window pane, not being able to hold their hand as you're watching your elderly relative fade away and they're absolutely terrified with, with terror in their eyes knowing that they're about to leave this world without having a family hold their hand. And that's nothing to do with ethnicity. That's to do with society. Mm. And I think when you break it down to that, we all we all come to the table with different issues, but they all inevitably end up in the same way. And that's poor mental health. And I think yeah. that's it. It needs to be talked about more. It needs to be destigmatized more. But also that older generation needs to be remembered more. Yeah, you wonder, like when you think of that older generation, how many people we can think of who had periods where they you know, took to the bed or whatever, however it was, oh, whatever yeah. euphemism was described yeah. for periods. And they were just going through really acute depression, but there yeah. was just no help for them. And, yeah. and how different their lives might have been had there been help um, for them. Uh, it, it, you, when you say destigmatize, it, Does like, Sylvia Platt actually have a poem about a woman who was put to the attic? Does she? Okay, I, I, yeah. I, I think so. I'm nearly sure. I'm sure somebody listening now like, tell that fella to shut up. It's not <laughs> Sylvia Plath. I don't know. I think it is. Uh, there was somebody who had, and it was about kind of, one of, one of the, the things was the, she was put into the attic because she took to the bed yeah. or, you know, she, she, her nerves are at her and she was left there and all she had was the changing shapes of the wallpaper. And I mean, that's that's quite indicative of what it's like being isolated during the pandemic. Could you imagine then the, the the loneliness, which already rural elderly people already feel mm. lonely, and I mean that's that's well known. But can you imagine that then when you're isolated and you can't even go to the shop or? Do Do you want to hear a Sylvia Plath story that's kind of fascinating, but it's quite grim as a story? But I mean, it wouldn't be Sylvia Plath if it um, was. <laughs> so Sylvia Plath took her own life by putting her head in the oven, and it was uh, house gas was the type of gas that was used at the time that was kind of pumped around houses in Britain and there was no smell off it. It's why that's why people took their lives that way. It was you 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 could oh, do before it. they added the, the yeah, scent. Oh, okay. and, and then um after the scent was added, the suicide rate plummeted. Absolutely plummeted. Really? Yeah. So it there was kind of and and the argument is that there's there's a you have to for for it to happen there needs to be a combination of kind of the means and the desire. And once the means was taken away it just showed that, like, you know, that, that that this idea, I suppose, that some people might say, and you'd hear them shrug it off, well, sure, they were always going to do that sooner or later. You say, well, no, yeah. actually, no. And there's scientific evidence to prove it, yeah. that once you remove the means, actually, there's a strong argument to be said, then the desire will ebb oh, and, and flow. And with the right intervention, it can be prevented. But yes, yeah, so even, even beyond the means, that, yeah. if, if you remove the moment uh, where, where they're forced to think about yes. the act. I mean, I mean, adding the scent to gas, when you smell the gas, you're conscious of the gas. If there's no smell there, you're not conscious of it. Yeah. You're going to keep breathing. So I imagine it's not about, not even so much about the knee or the, the means, yeah. although it, that is definitely relevant when we talk about guns and things like that. Yeah. But, but I suppose that moment where 
you're forced into thinking and a little bit yeah. of extra introspection. And sometimes that's what they say, you know, that one conversation with somebody may make them think about what they're about to do and may give them some yeah. clarity. Yeah, what, what, what backs up that, that theory, if we'll call it that as well, is that, you know, people who like taxi watch in these services that exist in this country, whereby they'll keep an eye out for people maybe in distress at night, you know, people on certain bridges, well, well-known well yeah, well uh, spots where people might kind of throw themselves into the water, uh, where they do intervene and intervene successfully. The people they intervene with... They don't get funded either, by the way. Yeah, but... Just those guys like up on the, the Shannon River and yeah. like up along the, um, the the river there in Galway. You see them at the bridges the whole time. They'll be there at two or three o'clock in the morning. And off their own bat, yeah, yeah. Off their own bat, yeah. Yeah, but the people they intervene with anyway, like as in, uh, like uh, that that single moment of intervention... You know, it doesn't delay the inevitable. It actually changes the, uh, the life story Changes completely. the whole course. Changes yeah. the whole course. Um, so well, you're busy then, I take it. <laughs> yes, I'm very busy. I'm very busy. Uh, I'm also um, doing my work in progress for my first theatre show, um, which I started writing this first for this theatre show after I lost all my shows in the pandemic. All my, all my comedy shows, gone, wiped out, taken away. You know, forget about it. And I, I always had an interest in writing and I started writing for the Irish Times uh, actually it was the Dublin Inquirer first and then the Irish Times and then the Irish Examiner but I, I always had this interest of, of kind of delving more into the arts and writing more and I got in touch with uh, Willie White from the Dublin Theatre Festival who's been a massive help actually mm. big up Willie White there yeah. he's got a bad dose of the Rona at the moment oh <laughs> god yeah so be at home listening to this in isolation of, yeah we're thinking of you Willie <laughs> um, but he, he, we, we, we then kind of thought about what's the process so I applied for a theatre bursary with the Arts Council of Ireland and I was successful much to my surprise mm. and I'm sure they're surprised as well uh, but it was because of that and I got the time and space then to actually delve into it and develop and I wrote my first play and after I wrote my first play I performed it for the Dublin Theatre Festival as a work in progress and then after that I actually went and watched my first ever play so I did all of that before um, before actually seeing a play before seeing any play <laughs> before seeing any play and my first play uh, was uh, Mark Halloran's Conversations After Sex right and the opening scene was a man and a woman stark naked and I'm like that's a good way to start I'm not doing that <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's not going to go down too well with my play uh, so then I, I continued to develop it and recently I did a work in progress at the List Old Writers Week and I have the same work in progress is coming up at the Hawkswell Theatre for Traveller Pride Week on July 18th which is already sold out actually. okay what can you tell us about the play it's brilliant <laughs> 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 it, it's it's uh, so it's basically the story of there's no gratuitous nudity early on no there might be not a nipple slip but that's that's oh, not intentional that's, that's, yeah, exactly. that's just me moving or like normal you know Janet Jackson moment yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah it's just these baps are so big you know uh, if, if I have to sit down so I can just rest them on my kneecaps and everything you know um, but we, yeah so it's it's the return home of this traveller man who's been in self-exile for over 10 years and he's home for the, the funeral of his grandfather. And it starts with him outside what is commonly known as the dead house, uh, where they used to lay the body out inside the house rather than the funeral home. Mm. And he's kind of looking on. He's very much outside of his family, but down to his own uh, choosing. Mm. And he's kind of looking down at you know the crying and all the little traditional things that they do with funerals. And it starts off, you know, he's talking about this is a traveller funeral, basically. But 
when you're watching it and listening to it, it's no different than any other funeral. And that was the message I wanted to kind of convey with that part of the play was that when we die, we all die the same way and we all lie in the similar clay, you know, and, and that's, it's a great leveller, actually. And I wanted to explore that. Um, but then You're throughout... a last poor Yorick moment, is it? Uh, yeah, of? well, you know, um, that's the artistic side of me, you know. <laughs> uh, and, and, and then it, 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 we, we move on and we find out why uh, the character has, you know, such a dim view of, of death and funerals. It's because he's actually traumatised from a suicide that happened... 15 years prior to that and he has never recovered and we go on that journey so there's almost two parts of the play mm. and we go on that journey as we find out why it's love lost so it deals with suicide LGBT issues and my lovely baps on my kneecaps <laughs> <laughs> Is it uh, how, have, how have you found the process of writing for the st- writing for the stage you write for the stage yourself but writing for writing a play as opposed to writing a gig Okay, well, uh, funny enough, my last tour was called The Gomi Fiend, which had no script. It was two hours of ad-lib and improv that changed depending on the audience. And anyone that went to that will tell you that my my uh, joke-to-laugh ratio was in around eight to ten seconds. So every eight to ten seconds there was a laugh because there was an interaction with somebody in the crowd. Yeah. But that wasn't going to fly very well with other promoters. So my the, the next comedy tour I have coming out is called Queen of the Travellers, which is... Kind of a play on King of the Travers, that big, you know, toxic yeah. masculine, let's go box steers off each other. And there I am in all my fabulousness, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, so it's more the, the Queen of the Travellers. Um, but that's a written that, play. That'll be a, a, written, a written show. show. Yeah, yeah. Um, because Well, I suppose, look, the way it is, you know, promoters need to know what they're getting. <laughs> yeah, well. exactly. Yeah, so, and, and, and look, I'm well able to write it, but I had more fun doing the improv stuff. It just, you're more in the moment. Um, and I, I tend to do better having a bit of banter and a bit of crack. Yeah. And that's a real Galway thing, actually. You know, actually, it's a real Irish thing. It's like slagging the heads off each other. Yeah. Um, and I really enjoy that. And audiences, by and large, really enjoyed it also. It's, I'd imagine it's, is it a little terrifying? Oh, of course it is. And here, yeah. listen, here's the funny thing, right? I actually suffer from, well, mildly now, but I used to be really bad with anxiety. Okay. And that stems back to um, the time my, my cousin drowned in the swimming pool and I took her out. I was 14 years of age and I took her out in my arms and she was dead and I, I had anxiety for years after that and I, I learned to cope with it and now it's it's diminished to nothing and all I get now is this anticipatory anxiety so yeah. before I go on the stage which is quite normal which is for normal all, Every, yeah. anyone gets it well anyone that doesn't like there's something wrong with them yeah. they're going to have a really yeah. bad gig because I think you need it actually you need to be a little bit on edge as if you're going into battle because it's essentially you're on stage to make people laugh they've paid to see you and for yeah. you to make them laugh so there is an expectation so if you're not on edge you're not really respecting the venue and you're not respecting the the audience. Mm. But that moment before, you'd be absolutely hacking it. I wouldn't eat. I, I never eat before a, a show. I can't. Because I find that as soon as I eat, I start to relax and I get that carb hit and I want to go for a nap and then I wake up and I'm thinking, shite, it wasn't a dream. I, I'm actually performing <laughs> in 20 minutes. So I don't eat and I keep myself on edge. And then the second I come off stage, it's like, I deflate and I just drop and I'm like, oh. And actually, here's the funny thing. Anyone that's ever gigged with me will, will, will tell you the same thing. I've never come off stage and said, that was a great gig. I've always come off stage and said, oh, shite. Oh, really? Yeah. Just yeah. self-doubt? Yeah, I, I could I could have done better. Um, these people come out to see, yeah. Uh, and it is self-doubt. And, it, and I actually think it's to do with the drop of the chemicals, the, the yeah. drop of the adrenaline and the anticlimax. You're coming off stage and your, your, your body's kind of coming back to normal and it's saying, what? 
where you think and you know get out of yeah. here quick uh, people might ask for their money back that you've already spent by the way in that lovely new suit that you're wearing you know so <laughs> but, yeah. I, but that's kind of sad in a way that you don't get the don't be feeling sorry for me Kieran. I'm not but, here just, but you don't get the kind of you don't get the kick out of it afterwards for all of the work that went into it no I do or do you get I, the kick during it or it's more I, I, I get a massive kick from the second you see the, the anticipatory anxiety only lasts until you're actually in the moment you're anxious about so as soon as I pick up that microphone anxiety's gone adrenaline kicks in Inevitably, you're going. So it's to, a real time kick. Yeah, of get. course it is. But you're going to you're going to you're going to have that crash. I mean, if you're on high adrenaline for an hour and a half, two hours, yeah, and the second you come off, also I sweat buckets. And look at the size of me; I got loads of buckets of sweat. <laughs> so, so as soon as I come off, and yeah, I know you're laughing, you're looking at me there, but I can move a lot on stage, right? And I'm high energy. Um, but when you come off, you're uh, you're obviously going to have that moment where it's like, oh. Yeah, and then an hour later, I'm like, okay, it wasn't as bad. And then when you yeah. get you know, you always get the people waiting for pictures, and they tell you then. And once you see that positive reaction, then you know that, like, it's not about me; it's about them. I, I have this thing; it's not even self doubt; it's doubt that I'm giving the audience what they've paid for, because I'd hate to be one of those comedians, and they exist, that just want to hike up the price of the tickets, do one gig, and not think about how the audience have taken that. Yeah. Like I, I want to keep my audience, I want to grow my audience, but I also want to show them the respect that they showed me while I was building that audience, you know? Yeah, well, I'm sure that audience looking forward to you being back on the road, gigging that way next year. What Where did you say people can check out the work in progress, the play in progress? Well, unfortunately, the next one is sold out ah, right, yeah, okay. in the Hawksville so in Sligo. Um, but... Look, check out my, my Twitter. I'm, I'm looking to put on uh, some dates. It's, it is a work in progress at the minute. It's, yeah. It comes in at around 50, 55 minutes. So um, there's still a possibility you could start with the nudity. <sighs> I don't. I mean, look, if ticket sales are low, <laughs> is all I'm saying, right? If ticket sales are low, uh, yeah. All right. Well, listen, uh, Martin, it's been an absolute pleasure and thanks a million for popping in. Thank you for having me, Kieran. That's our lot for The Hard Shoulder today. Thank you to everybody who tuned in over the last three hours and thank you to the production team, as always, to Kathleen Keane, to Carlo Sullivan, to Alex Russo, D. King and Ronan Coveney were the producers. Michael Quilligan and Peter Malloy were on sound. Off the ball are up next. I won't be back tomorrow at four. I won't be back for the next week because I am on my holidays. The forecast is absolutely miserable, so I'll be shriveled up to a prune in the hotel swimming pool, I suspect, by this time uh, tomorrow. But, Do not worry, you will be in safe hands. The Hard Shoulder, as always, will be with you from four. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.